This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. He slowly walked over to the camera and looked right down the fucking lens. We were convinced that he knew we were watching. I yelled out, Mom? Mom? Several times, and she didn't respond. Leave her alone, you jerk! I yelled. I'll kill you if you hit her again. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in everyone, and thanks for joining me. Today I'm bringing you three true frightening tales that are sure to terrify and disturb. You'll also be hearing a listener experience with a valuable lesson. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show with an experience from Reddit user CoolVY, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford. And we learn that there's always someone watching. The story I'm about to tell was a huge thing to my friends and family, but I didn't really talk about it back then because it scared the fuck out of me. However, it was a while ago and it's a really well-known creepy story among myself and my friends and family. So I think I may as well share it as it is admittedly terrifying. I was living with my parents and sister in Brisbane, Australia at the time, 2008, which means I was 19. I remember my dad had just got Foxtel, a cable TV in Australia, but only the TV in the lounge room could use the cable box, and I really wanted to somehow get the cable TV in my room without paying $99 or whatever for a new box. So one day, dad went out and bought an AV transmitter receiver. It was basically a two-piece bit of hardware where you would plug this tiny box into the cable TV in the lounge room, and then it would transmit a video signal to the receiver connected to the TV in my room. So on Saturday, I decided to connect it. Now, I've got pictures and everything in the show notes in case you want to see. So my younger sister, who was 16 at the time, was the only other person home when this happened. She was upstairs in her room. My room was downstairs. I opened the box and connected it up. At first, I was going back and forth trying to get the cables right, trying to get the channels right, etc. But no luck. Until I finally got something. I remember just sitting there and something started fuzzing in. This is where things start to feel like a horror movie. I remember thinking, oh, here we go, and waiting for the picture to come in clearly. But as it started fuzzing in, I remembered this whole time that the cable set top box wasn't even on, and that's why it wasn't working this whole time. But then why was I getting a signal? It seemed to hit me all at once. As I realized the box was off, the picture fuzzed in, and I saw a bed. I freaked the fuck out, as I first thought this was my bed. I had recently seen Saw 2 and remembered that that scene where she turns on the TV and it's a camera filming in her own apartment. That was the first thing I thought of. I sprinted upstairs to my sister, absolutely terrified. I told her to come down and take a look. 
She came down and we both realized it wasn't my bed. I mean, we didn't know whose bed it was or how it was getting the signal. Obviously, the AV receiver was picking up a camera signal, but we were just so confused as to who or what it was for. Eventually, my parents came home and we concluded that it would have to be a neighbor or someone living close by for us to be receiving the signal. We waited around until 6pm, and then someone came into the room. My dad recognized it as one of our neighbors. We still didn't know what the camera was for, but we assumed it had something to do with fidelity. Either his wife or he had set it up and watched the other to see if they were cheating. Either this, or it was to tape themselves having sex. We entertained the idea that he was a murderer and would film himself murdering people in his room, but just to freak each other out. We'd always make jokes about how one night we'll just turn it on and it'll just be his face with clown makeup on staring at the camera waving, and then him walking out of his bedroom with a knife. I mean, this never happened, but what did happen was still super creepy. We connected to the signal for over a week, but after a few days, the novelty kind of wore off. And we felt a bit weird watching it, and just resigned to the explanation that it was to catch his wife cheating. And so one day, we turned it on, and realized what we had discovered. Our neighbors were having a bunch of renovations done to their house. During weekdays, they would be out, and there would be workers at the place pretty much all day. It had been like this for over a month. We started watching the feed, and I saw a man walking into the room. It was the plumber, and they had been there regularly for the renovations. We didn't think anything of it until he started opening drawers. I called out to my mom, the only person home at the time, and he started watching it. I mean, he started getting the wife's underpants and sniffing them, doing all that creepy shit. At first we were like, oh my god, how embarrassing, he's being filmed. Will the neighbors see this somehow? But then what happened next was truly terrifying. He slowly walked over to the camera and looked right down the fucking lens. We were convinced that he knew we were watching. Mom immediately called Dad. I kept watching. He started fiddling with it and then put it back down. I told my mom that I don't think he knew we were watching, but he's definitely the guy that put the camera there. Dad came home, and by this time the plumber had left. Much to Mom's pleading, Dad went over to the neighbors to tell them what we saw. Mom wanted to completely stay out of it and was terrified, understandably. When we told the neighbors, they had no idea what we were talking about. Well, they allowed Dad to go up to their room, and what he found was this installed device in the wall that was designed to monitor water usage, which was completely normal at the time, as Brisbane had been hit with a drought recently and there were lots of water restrictions. Still is now, I think. You see, the plumber had installed this into the wall, but it fitted a camera behind it in the wall to watch the bed. Now, immediately, they called the police, who came over and conducted an investigation. For the next week or so, we didn't hear much about it. I spent most of this time just telling my friends, showing them pictures. But truthfully, my whole family was scared every night. It was just very creepy thinking that we could have stuff like that hidden in our house. And chances are we didn't, but it was still really scary. After a couple of weeks, my mom was speaking to the wife next door and asked what happened with it all. The wife said that the police found out that he would, at nights, come to our street and just sit in his car, which had really tinted windows, and watch them on his laptop. When mom told me this, I got the biggest shivers. And the reason was, I mean, beside the obvious of a creepy dude sitting in his car watching people through a hidden camera, was because on multiple nights, when I had driven home late from my girlfriends or, or walked home drunk after a night out, I remember seeing a station wagon, 
I don't know if that's what they're called outside of Australia, but it's like a big hatchback car, and it was always about 30 meters down the street from our house. It was never there during the day, always at night. I'd always walk past it and look at my reflection in the windows, assuming no one is inside. I was always so confused by whose car it was, but literally never thought it was anything. It still scares me so much that it was just this creepy fucking plumber sitting in the back of his car with a laptop watching a hidden camera stream of my neighbors. Anyway, that's my story. It's all true and still creeps me out to this day, but my friends and I have a good laugh about it. Remember to check the show notes for pictures. Want to listen to Disturbed ad-free? Of course you do. Go to disturbedpodcast.com slash support to get your access today. Next up, we hear from Reddit user Healing Potato Lemon with voice work by Tanya Eby. And we ask the question... Is seeing believing? This is something that has bothered me for over a decade, so I wanted to post to get some other people's perspective. When I was a teenager, my parents and I lived in a large house where their master bedroom was on the first floor, and my bedroom was upstairs with the other bedrooms. I have an older brother but he had been moved out of the house for years at this point. My bedroom was at the end of a long carpeted hallway, and the stairs were all the way on the other side of the second floor, so it wasn't uncommon to not hear someone approach my room. It was around 10 p.m., and my parents had gone to bed. It was a school night, so I was supposed to be sleeping too, but I was awake messaging my friends on AIM, showing my age here. My door was barely cracked open at the time, my bedroom light was off, but my attached bathroom light was on, which dimly illuminated my bedroom doorway. I looked up to see my bedroom door swing open, 18 inches or so, and my mom's dimly lit face looking at me for one to two seconds from the hallway, and then the door shut, completely latched now. My dog at the time was laying on my bed, and he looked up too. After the door shut, he sat at attention at the end of my bed, like he was ready to protect me. My mom has very dark hair, and I remember thinking her hair looked a lot lighter in that moment. This will be more important later. My mom has always been quite passive-aggressive, so my first thought was that she saw I was still awake on my computer, was pissed, and stormed off. I yelled out, Mom? Mom? several times, and she didn't respond. Our home phones also functioned as intercoms between one another, showing my age again. So I used the home phone in my bedroom to call the home phone on my mom's bedside table. It took her several rings to pick up, and when she answered, she sounded tired. I started defending myself and apologizing for still being awake, and then asked what she wanted and why she didn't respond when I yelled out to her. She was quiet for a few confused seconds, and then started asking me what I was talking about because my call had woken her up. I asked her what she was talking about because I had just seen her open my bedroom door, look at me, shut the door, and walk away. She had no idea what I was talking about, 
and sounded generally annoyed that I woke her up. She told me I shouldn't be awake anyways, to go to bed, and hung up. After that conversation, I started freaking out because I knew what I saw. I wasn't tired or on the verge of falling asleep in bed or anything that could be explained by visual hallucinations caused by drifting off to sleep. I started thinking about how my mom's hair looked lighter than normal when I saw her and realized it looked just like my aunt's hair had before she lost it to chemo. My mom and aunt looked almost identical in stature and build and in their faces, with the only difference being my aunt's hair being a dirty blonde color. They both kept their hair at shoulder length and had the same soft waves. My aunt unfortunately died from breast cancer a month or so prior to this happening, so my mind jumped to it being a paranormal experience. I didn't share those details with anyone after this happened, out of fear they would think I was crazy. I haven't had anything like this happen since. It's worth noting for anyone that looks at my post-history that I do have epilepsy, but have never had visual auras or visual ictal experiences, and I didn't have any other symptoms of my focal seizures when this happened. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. 
wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the deliciously frightful. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. And finally, our title story coming to us by email submission from Nels, featuring voice work by John Patnode. And we experience the family horrors. My grandpa was an asshole. I should probably give some context to that statement. I grew up in southern Mississippi along the coast. My dad was a policeman, and my mom stayed home with us kids. Most of my early childhood memories through the first grade revolved around time spent with my mom and my grandma, along with my younger sister. Money was tight back then, and my dad used to work security at the Greyhound station about four days a week between his shifts at the police department to pick up some extra cash. Needless to say, when he was home, he was either sleeping or getting ready to go to work. My grandpa was a long-haul trucker. I don't really remember if he owned his own truck or if he worked for a trucking company, but I do remember he was gone a lot. Back in the days before I started school, I remember that my mom would take my sister and me to my grandma's house very frequently. I guess that we probably went there at least three or four times a week. I was always excited to go to grandma's house. Her place was nothing fancy, but it was much nicer than where we were living at the time. Our home was in a pretty rough, crime-riddled area. My mom was super protective, and we weren't allowed to leave our tiny yard, even in broad daylight. Even at six years old, I knew that it was bad. Grandma's house, on the other hand, was a modest little single-wide trailer sitting on a couple of acres of ground just outside of town. Grandma spent her days tending her flower beds, making cookies, and sitting on a rocking chair on the porch. Everything at Grandma's house was neat and tidy. There was always cookies in the jar and Kool-Aid in the fridge. She even had a little pedal-powered go-kart that my sister and I spent hours on tooling around her yard. Of all my siblings and cousins, I can confidently say that I was always Grandma's favorite. She would spend hours telling me stories about her childhood and showing me pictures of long-gone relatives. She'd always buy me comic books and Legos when we went shopping, which, considering her frugality, was nothing short of downright splurging. She even had a nickname for me. None of the other grandkids had nicknames, but I was always her little Nelly bug. She loved to pinch my cheeks and say, Grandma loves her little Nelly bug. That woman was a saint. I loved going to Grandma's house. That is, until Grandpa was home. Grandpa was the exact opposite of my grandma. When he was home, the feel of the house took on a totally different vibe. Grandpa was never excited to see us. Even at a young age, I could feel tension between my dad and grandpa. My dad never talked about it, but I know they had some unresolved issues from his childhood. For that reason, we tended to only go to their house when grandpa was out on the road. On the rare occasion we were there when grandpa was home, grandma's demeanor was different as well. She was always happy to see us, but everything she said and did was done so in a hushed, undertone manner. Her usual carefree and happy smile was replaced with a look of concentration. If my sister and I started to get a bit rowdy, she was quick to distance us and move us to an area of the house away from Grandpa. On most days, if he was home, we were encouraged to play outside and avoid making racket. 
As I got older, I came to understand the relationship that my grandparents had. Grandpa wasn't from the school of thought that considered women equal. He talked to Grandma as if she were his servant and often berated her in front of different family members. Thinking back on it now, I'm sure it was terrible for my grandma. But she did nothing if not dutiful in her marriage. She never said anything disparaging to my knowledge about Grandpa and she always put on a brave face, even when he was being a complete bully towards her. Without a doubt, Grandma was my favorite person in the world back then. And seeing the way that he treated her made me hate him. I found myself on more than one occasion trying to stand up for Grandma and being hastily carried off to another room by either my mom or Grandma. My dad typically never came around their house, or I'm sure he would have some things to say as well. I remember after one such event, I called my grandpa a jerk. He just laughed and started to say something to my mother about teaching me some respect, when my grandma quickly took my hand and walked me to the front porch. She sat me down in the rocking chair and told me, Nellybug, you can't be talking to your grandpa like that. It's not right. I asked, why do you let him say those things to you? Why don't you stand up for yourself? To which she began to softly cry. I felt terrible. Nellybug, she said. He doesn't mean those things he says. He works hard and he's your grandpa. You need to be nice to him. I agreed and gave her a hug and told her that I would not yell at him anymore. Which turned out to be a lie. About a month before my seventh birthday, my sister got really sick. I don't remember all of the details, but what I do remember is that she had to go see a specialist in Jackson, which was a couple of hours away. My parents were going to be staying there for a couple of nights, which meant I had to stay with my grandparents while they were out of town. The first night was great. I was worried about my sister, but it was just me and grandma with fresh baked cookies, Legos, and the fall guy on TV. We had a great time. To Grandma's credit, she did a great job of occupying my mind so that I wasn't worrying so much about my sister. The second night, however, wasn't as much fun. My grandpa got home sometime in the wee hours of the morning. When I got up the next morning, I ran to the kitchen expecting to see Grandma starting pancakes. Instead, I ran into Grandpa standing at the fridge taking out a beer. I stopped running and just looked at him. Grandma was sitting at the table and looked very tired. Be quiet, boy, he said. I'm not in the mood to listen to any of your nonsense today. Leave him be, Grandma said. He's got nothing to do with the... Before she could finish her sentence, he turned on her and started yelling. I've had just about enough of your shit, as he threw the beer in his hand to the ground, shattering the bottle. Before I knew what was happening, he was across the kitchen, next to where my grandma was sitting. It felt like the world was moving in slow motion as I watched him raise his hand above his head and come down with it across the face of my beloved grandma. That took me out of my stupor. I darted across the room and put myself between the two of them as he was raising his hand again to deliver the second dose. I stepped on a pretty good chunk of the beer bottle glass on the way to my grandma and cut a pretty substantial gash to the bottom of my foot. At that moment, however, I didn't even notice. Leave her alone, you jerk! I yelled. I'll kill you if you hit her again. Shut the hell up, you little bastard, he retorted. You want me to beat your ass next? As calmly as a six-year-old could muster, I looked him dead in the eye and said, I'm not afraid of you. You're a coward and I hate you. 
it's hard to explain the next few moments. My grandma was beside herself. At this point, she had noticed the blood pouring from my foot and was in an all-out panic. She was wailing to my grandpa that I needed to get to the emergency room. My grandpa and I stared at each other, gazes locked for what seemed like an eternity. As we glared, I noticed a change in my grandpa's eyes. I don't really know how to describe it other than by saying that his eyes were reflecting pure evil and hate. For a moment, his eyes lost all color. I was staring into black, soulless eyes. My grandma didn't seem to notice as she was preoccupied with my foot. He stared at me with dead black eyes and then the corner of his lip turned up in the most pure evil snarl that I have ever seen. I was terrified. Our stare was broken as my grandma swept me up and ran me outside to her car. She took me to the ER where I got 10 stitches to the bottom of my foot. My parents were due home later that evening and grandma and I just went back to her house and waited for them to get there. I never said anything about what I saw to anyone. After that, I avoided being around my grandpa completely. I would leave the room if he walked in, and I didn't readily go to my grandparents as I had before. I didn't know how to process what I'd seen and had convinced myself that I must have imagined it. About a year passed after the incident, and I had put it behind me. Summer was coming to an end, and my dad had promised to take me fishing one last time before school started back up. Our favorite spot to go was a little public pier that went out into a little lake about 15 minutes from our house. I love that pier, but it also scared me a bit. I can't swim. I'm not really afraid of the water, but I am very cautious. This particular pier, as much as I liked it, was always a little scary to me because it didn't have a handrail. It was just a 10-foot wide pier that went about 50 or 60 feet out into the lake. No railing, just the planks. My dad woke me up at about 6 in the morning on the last Saturday before school started. Get dressed, he said. We're heading to the pier. I was excited. I quickly threw on some clothes, grabbed a baseball cap, my trusty rod and reel, and my tackle box, and jumped in the truck. We took off out of the neighborhood, but dad turned the wrong direction on the highway. Where are we going? I asked. Picking up grandpa. He's coming fishing with us, he said. I did not reply. We picked up Grandpa and headed to the pier. We rode three across in my dad's regular cab pickup with me in the middle. I said nothing as we rode out. They went on talking for a while about fishing strategies, but overall, it was a pretty quiet ride to the pier. Once we got there, I jumped out of the truck on my dad's side, eager to get fishing. I grabbed my tackle box and rod and reel from the back of the truck and started running towards the pier. Hold up, my dad shouted. You can wait for us. I stopped and let them catch up. We walked about a quarter of the way down the pier when my dad said that he left his billfold with his fishing license in the truck and turned around to go get it. I'll be right back, he said. You guys go ahead and I'll catch up with you. I want to go to the end of the pier, I said. Okay, replied Grandpa. Dad started walking towards the truck and we started walking towards the end of the pier. Lucky day, we were the only ones there. I lead the way with my grandpa right behind me. I made it to about the middle of the pier when I heard my grandpa say in a deep, gravelly voice, Hey! I turned around and he was standing right behind me. Before I could blink, he slammed his hand into my chest, grabbing my shirt and knocking me off balance. I dropped my fishing pole and tackle box on the pier as he pushed me right to the edge of the decking. I tried to regain my footing and stop him, but he completely overpowered me. My feet were on the edge of the pier and he was holding me. 
leaning me out over the edge perilously by my shirt. I held onto his hand and looked down the pier to see my dad still walking away towards the truck, uh, oblivious to what was happening. I tried to scream, but I couldn't make a sound. I looked into my grandpa's face, and the dead, soulless black eyes were back. Are you scared now, Nelly Bug? As the corner of his mouth curled up, revealing that same evil snarl that I thought I had imagined a year earlier, I was terrified. I had no rational thought of what to do or what was happening. I was positive that he was going to let go and that I was going to plummet into the lake and drown. I started bawling, then, just as suddenly as he had slapped my chest, he flung me down to the middle of the pier. I landed on my hands and knees, hard, but I was grateful to be on the pier. Grandpa didn't even look back. He turned his back to me and continued to walk to the end of the pier. I stayed there sobbing for what felt like forever. My dad came back and asked me what had happened. I told him that I fell and dropped my tackle box. I couldn't even begin to rationalize what had just happened. I could also not fathom that anyone would believe me even if I were able to articulate it. I stuck by my dad's side for the rest of the day like a shadow. When we left to go home, I rode in the back of the pickup. My grandma passed away a short time after that incident. She was diagnosed with a pretty aggressive cancer and went really fast. My dad and grandpa had a falling out shortly after her funeral and they severed ties. My grandma's funeral was the last time that I ever saw my grandpa. Dad never really discussed what happened between them and I never really pushed the issue for obvious reasons. I was perfectly content with my dad's decision to remove him from our lives. Our family never discussed grandpa very much, but over the years I heard from cousins that he had passed away in a hospice. We didn't attend the funeral, and I never so much as heard a mention of him from my dad over the next 25 years. I've long since moved away from the area. I'm married now with two kids of my own. I don't make it home much, but I try to keep in touch as best I can. My mom and dad have since divorced, and my siblings all still live in the area. When I was 31, I went back home for my granny's funeral, on my mom's side. My son was in school at the time, and my wife and I had a one-year-old, so I went back for the funeral by myself. When I go back home, I like to go and visit places from my childhood. On that particular trip, I drove by the old pier. I hadn't been there since the day with my grandpa. Every time my dad tried to take me fishing there after that, I came up with an excuse not to go. I finally told him that I just grew out of fishing and that I didn't like it anymore. It still looked the same. A bit older for sure, but still in impressively good shape for an old pier. There was an older man fishing from the middle of the pier with an old dog laying by his feet. The dog looked up as I started walking past them. Good afternoon, I said as I walked past the pier. Afternoon, he replied. I continued on to the end of the pier. Everything still looked as it did when I was seven. I turned around and headed back to my car. I walked past the old man and wished him luck with the fishing, to which he just nodded. I made it about ten feet past the old guy when I heard a deep, gravelly voice say, Hey! My blood froze. I turned around, and the old man was standing not six inches behind me. His eyes were dead black, and his lips were turned up into an evil snarl. He stared at me with that terrifying expression while his dog stood there barking incessantly at him. I tried to run, yell, do anything, but I was absolutely paralyzed. He took a step closer to me. In the same deep, gravelly voice, he said, Are you still scared, Nelly Bug? 
Everything went black. I passed out. I'm not sure how long I was out. I came to in the middle of the pier. The old man and his dog were gone. I gathered myself and darted back to the car. I left that night and drove 16 hours straight back home. I never set foot near that pier ever again. I'm 46 now. My son has finished college and my daughter is in high school. I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what happened to me. Did I imagine this? Do I have some sort of disorder? I'm a very rational person. I don't get excited easily. Even after these experiences, I'm still skeptical of most things, including my own memories and recollections. I've still discussed this with no one, and I probably wouldn't be writing this now, but last week, I was walking back to my office downtown, 1,100 miles away from where I grew up in the pier. I had just ran out to grab a quick lunch and was about a half block away from my office. On a busy sidewalk, from right behind me, I heard in a deep, gravelly voice, Hey, Nelly Bug. I didn't turn around. I ran. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. And before we close out the show, we have a listener experience. And I share this not because it's the most terrifying story we've ever had, but because a valuable lesson can be learned. This comes to us from Instagram user Legendary Aesthetics LC. The floor is yours. So I live in the city of Hanford, California. I've been living here for going on eight years. The city's not too big. So it has a close community feel to it. And people are very friendly for the most part. So yesterday was Wednesday and I normally finish my work day a bit early. I decided to go to the grocery store to get some stuff for dinner. Normally my go-to grocery store is Smart and Final. So I get there, I grab a cart, I start walking down an aisle and I see an older man Maybe in his 50s, 60s, um, he looked very polite. He gave me grandpa vibes. He looks at me and asks me, what are you cooking? Or something to that extent. I, being the people person that I am, politely reply, oh, I'm baking chicken today. And I continue walking. As I roamed the store, I noticed that he kept going down the same aisles. Every time I would run into him, he had a comment to make or a question to ask. And once again, I would answer. This happened several times. Then I started feeling uncomfortable. So I started paying a little bit more attention to him, to his cart, to his demeanor. I noticed that he had nothing inside his cart, not one thing. And every time he would ask me a question, he would get closer and closer. The last two times that I ran into him, I just ignored him. He asked me something and I continued to walk like if I didn't hear him. Finally, I saw a worker and he was restocking and I told myself I'm going to walk down this aisle in case this man's still behind me or if he's following me, at least someone else is around or notices it. I heard a cart speeding up. I look back and there he was. 
And once again, he had another question for me. He said, is that all you're going to buy? I looked at him and continued walking. I didn't respond. I just kept walking. This man then proceeds to tug on my cart, like to make me slow down. But at that point, I had it. My stomach hurt. I was so nervous. I knew that this was not okay. He was in my personal space. So I finally grew the balls to tell him, you are making me feel uncomfortable and you need to back the fuck off. I know I stuttered when I said it. I was just so nervous. And a part of me felt bad for yelling at this older person or for even cussing at this older person. I've never been disrespectful. When I told him that, he looked me dead in the eye and gave me the creepiest smirk. That's when the worker looked at us and yelled, is everything okay? Nervously, I said, you know what? No, it's not. This man is following me around. He's making me feel uncomfortable and I'm gonna need you to walk me to my car after I pay. So the worker stayed behind. He talked to him for a little bit and he walked me to my car after I was done paying. He apologized for my experience and I told him to just keep an eye out on this guy because something about him just was not right. And I know he was up to no good. So to everyone out there listening, remember, it's okay to be polite, but have boundaries and don't shelter someone else's feelings at the expense of your own. If someone's making you feel uncomfortable, let it be known. And to the creep at Smart and Final, if you're listening, I hope to never see you again. A great lesson to be learned that it's okay to say no and it's okay to be rude when it comes to your safety. Thanks for sharing your story. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. And let's give a shout out to all of our newest supporters. Jonita Kirsten, Dana Houston, Rima Conkey, and here's an interesting one, Chicken Butts and a Black Cat, Tay LeBanc, and Tiffany Clark. Thanks everyone so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.